Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I got home last night and I had a package on my doorstep and it was from Green Chef, who are my sponsors for this series. I was absolutely blown away with what was inside. Not only did they have the step-by-step recipe cards in there, but they had all the ingredients and as fresh as you can get them. Last night, I cooked the duck in balsamic glaze, which I'd never tried before. These pre-portioned ingredients allowed me to try this new flavour completely risk-free, and I was able to eat the exact right amount of these ingredients. Not only that, but they had tender stem broccoli. How many other food boxes send tender stem broccoli? It was unbelievably delicious, and I can't recommend it enough. Their high-quality, fresh seasonal ingredients just blew me away. And... It's allowed me to eat consistently and have a routine whilst eating healthily. So get 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes with the code GREENSTRONG. That's GREENSTRONG for 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes. Hello and welcome to this episode of Headstrong. You're listening with me, Louis Strong, and I host this show. This is a bonus episode, and so I've got an incredibly exciting guest that I wanted to fit into this series. Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a variety of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers, but notably, I want to talk to them about their life and experiences with vulnerability and their mental health to inspire you to understand what it means to be headstrong. My guest on this bonus episode is someone who had a pretty challenging 2021 and his name is James Bracey. James made his England Test Cricket debut last year but had a pretty challenging time out on the field and the way that the media dealt with him. And so I chatted to James to talk to him about his experiences in the England team, in the county setup, and how he coped with his mental health. I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Remember as well to get 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes from Green Chef, my sponsor for this series, using the code GREENSTRONG. That's GREENSTRONG. James, thank you for joining me on Headstrong. How's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, no, it's been, it's good. Pretty chilled at the moment, uh, you know, off season. So it's, um, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty chilled out. So we're chatting at a time when very sadly, the Ashes have been lost down under, uh, but we have just drawn the fourth test. Uh, how much have you actually managed to watch yourself? Yeah, so I obviously watched, I was at an Oz um, before Christmas, so I managed to watch the, the first test sort of as it was going on 
uh, while we were out there. Um, and then since being back, you know, I watched the odd sort of first session before going to bed and then sort of catch up on the highlights the next day, really. So I've, yeah, kept a good eye on it. Um, haven't watched a whole heap of the live stuff, but um, yeah, definitely been catching up every now and again. So I feel like I've got to ask your opinion in some regard. Feel free to say as little or as much as you wish. What are, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the batting collapses that we have experienced? Because I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about it, and especially from the, the players that are involved in it. And there's a lot of talk about the preparation being difficult with um, Australia and COVID and the, the fact that we couldn't have any practice matches beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, it obviously wasn't the usual um, Ashes makeup where they usually, you know, play maybe the the A side or they play, you know, local state sides or rep sides and stuff like that, and you know, have a good month or so of of, of proper outdoor prep, um, you know, in game situations. Um, this time around, we had some some inter squad games and that sort of stuff, um, which you know is 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 better than than nothing. Um, but then the weather sort of hampered all those as well so there wasn't a huge amount of match practice before going into it you know that that definitely would have had an effect um but you know the Aussies had the same so it's it's sort of a double-edged sword really I mean you know from being out there and seeing you know the work the guys put in um they got you know it looked like they got everything they could out of that preparation um I think you know the Aussies have been very good um it's just been one of those and and you know a couple of lads might have struggled at times, which, you know, happens in cricket. I think it's, it's one of those where hopefully, you know, guys will take stuff from, from the tour and, and run with it. Is it a massive difference? Because I know that you've experienced internal matches. Is it a massive difference, uh, internal matches, compared to playing, say, some of the state sides or county sides when, for example, other, other teams come over here? Yeah, I think it feels like an inter-squad game I feel like as much as you put into it, there's always a slightly different intensity to it. Um, it almost feels like at times, you know, people are trying to get out of it what they want to get out of it. Um, but you know that if you're going to come up as an England team against an opposition side from Australia, who are maybe like a state side or whatever, they're going to be gunning for you. They're going to want, want your head. They're going to want to beat you. Um, and, you know, I feel like, you don't get that when it's your own teammates. You know, you can be competitive and you can can take what you can from that. But I think there is slightly different energy to it when it's a, definitely a foreign opposition team. So it's kind of like the stakes are more when it's... Particularly perhaps for those those sides that are not making their international teams. They really want to try and get the English heads. For sure, exactly. And I think those guys would be like, you know, if I can get wickets or runs or make an impact against England, um, that goes a long way. You know, I've had it... Um, I've played for Gloucestershire against Australia eh? and, and, and got runs. And, you know, that, that goes a long way because people think, oh, these are, you know, some of the best players in Australia at the moment. And this guy's, you know, succeeding against them. It, it, it puts your name in sort of that different light. So, yeah, there's definitely sort of that, those higher stakes in those sort of games. So as you mentioned, you were out in Oz yourself, out playing for the England Lions, mm-hmm. and you saw some immense success. You smashed an awesome ton out there in December. How do you feel uh, with your cricket now? I know we'll talk about a few things that happened in 2021, but do you feel like you're knocking back on the door once again? Yeah, I feel in, in a really good space. I feel like, um, obviously, as you said, you know, 2021 was a, a bit of a roller coaster um, of a season for us. Um, and, you know, there was a period where I was sort of, um, you know, probably not in the best headspace um, to sort of put in my best performances. Um, and I feel like that tour to Australia, I've learned a lot since last summer, put a lot of those things into practice as well. Um, and I think to come out of it and finish with with 100 and, and a, a successful um, performance, you know, um, you know, instilled a lot of confidence in me. And I'm, I feel in a really good place now to sort of attack 2022. You feel like England's uh, coming back? Yeah, I feel like it's one of those. I feel I've, I'm sort of climbing the ladder a little bit. I feel like after my first experience... I almost dropped off the ladder sort of and fell fell quite hard um so it's good to know that I've still got the skills that I thought I had um none of that's gone anywhere um and the fact that I'm in a much better space now you know I feel in a much better position to to take that opportunity if it does come we'll discuss and navigate kind of your experience with that and how perhaps going into the rest of the season you dealt with that and stuff so forth and so forth but let's first rewind 
even further back before England was ever in your mind because mm-hmm. cricket must have started somewhere. Yeah. Now I know you've got an older brother, but what is your earliest cricketing memory? Uh, earliest cricketing memory would be with my brother. Yeah. I mean, in the garden, garden cricket, like most young siblings do every summer evening, every summer weekend afternoon, um, either in the garden or at the local cricket club, just running around with a bat and ball in hand. Um, and just sort of pestering everyone and anyone to throw balls at you or hit balls in the air so you can catch them or watching the cricket and stuff like that. I think that's, you know, really fond memory. And I think the fact that Sam was really into his, is really into his cricket as well, um, you know, made it best of both worlds for both of us. Um, and we sort of developed that, that competitive sort of cutting edge um, that you need sort of nowadays to succeed in, in professional sport. Even when you were young, were you and Sam ultra competitive? Oh, yeah, like next level bad. Like, uh, <laughs> fights in the garden, you've got parents trying to split it up. One's hit the ball in the air, you're trying to claim he's caught. Cool, and the other one's like, no, nah, there's no feel there. And like Nick sibling stuff, yeah. But, um, you know, it was great fun. Um, and it's great that, you know, that started a, a real love for the sport for, uh, for both of us, really. Absolutely. Now, you attended Loughborough University, which is known for its sport. It's a great sport university. It's slightly tongue-in-cheek. Was acad- academia ever on your mind? Um, not really, no. I mean, <laughs> I, like, I quite enjoy studying. I really enjoyed my course. Um, it had it sports science. It had sport um, background to it as well. Um, and I felt like that was really important for me to stay engaged with it. Um, but even now, you know, I'm, I'm starting a master's end of this month. And I just like having that, that extra string and that extra focus. I think something to focus on, which isn't necessarily to do with cricket outside of, of your training hours and your playing hours is, is really important to sort of stay stimulated. And, and it sort of means that you don't eat yourself up as much about what's going on in cricket. If that's all you've got to focus on, it's a real slippery slope and you can just find yourself dwelling on everything and, and sort of giving negative thoughts about cricket too much attention. So I really like having that extra, almost a little bit of a distraction, but it's definitely something that I like to have in, in my locker. Well, I was going to say, there's kind of uh, two sides to that. Not only is it the distraction and uh, ability to switch off, but whenever I talk to the professional sports people, some are at the end of their careers. Luckily, you're not, but it's, all, it's a matter of security because you can only yeah. play cricket for a certain amount of time. And you've got to think ultimately and with the long term in mind what that's going to be and is it in journalism is that correct no so um I've just sort of done a bit of writing for people just as sort of like I thought it might be something I'm interested in um I'm obviously in a privileged position that I've got contact to people who write in cricket and they've sort of given me an opportunity to to write a few pieces and that sort of stuff um I'm doing my master's in psychology um which I think has probably stemmed from the fact that it has significant sort of application to cricket Mm. and it's something that I've sort of it's something that I've become interested through my own experiences um and I'd sort of I'm interested in sort of like psychological dramas and books and that sort of stuff and I think it'd be nice to have a a bit more background on it to be honest I find it a really interesting topic absolutely now rewinding to Loughborough at what point or indeed before that or after that did cricket become a reality as a professional sport and a profession for you? Yeah, so um, I sort of came into it a little bit later. I didn't sign sort of on an academy or anything until I was about 17, just as I went to Loughborough. Um, And then I was sort of dipping in and out with Gloucestershire, sort of playing a bit of second team cricket, but spending most of my time at Loughborough, training with them and studying. Um, I mean, realistically, I made my debut at the end of 2016. But even then, I wasn't signed. Um, it was a sort of a one-off game and I didn't feel like I'd nailed down any any sort of real opportunity. So probably the end of 2017 when I managed to hit my first 100 for Gloss, um, that was sort of when I realised that, you know, keep knuckling down and and sort of there's a, a possible career opportunity there for you. Um, and then when I started back the next summer of 2018, that's when I signed my first contract and sort of gone from there. And 2018 was great, but then 2019 was a real, the real opportunity for you where you really started to kind of come out and it was a kind of a breakout year, it's probably fair yeah. to say, and you start, started to get noticed. What's that world of 
professional sport like? How how would how would you articulate it to to somebody who's not involved in kind of the touring side of it? Because you're traveling all the time, mm-hmm. you've got matches, you've got to fulfill requirements expected of you, but also during a very short amount of time of the year. So run me through that. Yeah, it's it's obviously different when you start traveling with with the national side. Um, <laughs> then it sort of becomes a more year round sort of thing. Um, the life of a county cricketer is it's a strange one. I mean, it's it's amazing. I love it. It's great. I mean, you can put as much time as you want into your cricket in those winter months. You can work on what you want when you want, and you've sort of got time to do other things. So, as you said about the security. The PCA are now brilliant in terms of driving that personal development side of things. Um, so you can study, you can go do some work experience. I know people who have gone into different industries and gone down the work experience and trying to gain qualifications that way. Um, and then summer comes and it is just manic. Those six months of the season are just mental. Like you're just nonstop, um, loads of cricket, loads of traveling, loads of time around your teammates, which is brilliant. Um, and I think, you know, if you can really enjoy those moments, it's, it's a great existence, but then on the flip side, if you're not doing very well and games are just coming thick, fast and at you, it can be tough. It can be hard to deal with. And that's where you've got to be sort of switched on and and clued up to, uh, to how you're going to deal with that, which is something that in your early career, um, you're sort of still figuring out. And I still feel like I'm not fully clued up to how, you know, I can best deal with that, but I'm certainly getting better and I'm getting towards that sort of, uh, sort of perfect balance, really. Yeah, absolutely. In those winter months, as a county player, obviously leaving out England for now, are there expectations of you as a cricketer or from your club? Are you expected to be going to the nets once a week, twice a week, expected to be working on things, or is it actually your time? Yeah, for sure. Like they, um, Because the PCA factor in all these... Um, the other side of things, um, and it's all sort of through the club. Um, the club do have a certain, yeah, a certain say on what you have to do. Obviously, it's your full-time job. You need to be prepared come March to, to hit the ground running. So um, before Christmas, yeah, they have certain guidelines on. Uh, you train sort of three or four days a week still. Um, there's still quite a lot of um, intensity in that. Um, you've got to have certain fitness standards. Um, the med- science and medicine drive that. And, you know, this year especially, we've got a new performance director and a new head coach. So um, they're almost sort of getting to grips with it as well. And there's been loads of new ideas floating around. Um, You get a lot of time one-on-one with coaches. um, And it's great to utilise that. I mean, I wouldn't want to go in just like once a week and because sort of like it's good to be around people. It's good not to isolate yourself from the group. Um, And obviously, it's a perfect time to to work on stuff that might not be possible in the middle of a season, you know, maybe big technical changes and big um, sort of mental changes that you m- might want to make. It's hard to do them in the middle of the season because you don't want to tinker too much. There's, it's a nice period of time where you can put those into practice. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on the other side of it then, we'd, let's talk about the, the international game. Can you remember the first phone call when you got the call up? And if so, who, who called you to, to run me through it? Yeah, so my first call up to the Lions, I remember it perfectly. I was just packing to go to Middlesex for a gloss game. Um, and I was just in my room. I was, I think I was playing FIFA maybe, um, just waiting to leave. And unknown phone number calls, just sort of put it on speaker and I'm still there just like playing FIFA or whatever. Um, hi, James, Ed Smith here. I was like, and I didn't really know too much about the England setup. Like I knew obviously who the staff were, but I didn't know much about the like selection. So I knew knew who Ed Smith was, but I didn't really know what his role was at the time. <laughs> so he called me, and I was like Ed Smith, Ed Smith, and then sort of like twigged. I was like, oh, right, like couldn't believe it really. Like it was didn't know what he wanted with me, um, and it was like I didn't even know there was a Lions game. Like this is how out of the blue it felt at that time. Um, and like obviously explained, you know, Lions game. You've been picked, brilliant. Like, and I was just like, couldn't believe it. It was just like, I think that's like the first moment. That's the main sort of moment I had where I thought, oh, like what I've like been working to, like it's actually like a possibility. So that was a really good feeling. Um, really enjoyed that. And my first call 
Uh, my first proper call up for last summer, New Zealand. Yeah, just there was a whole lot of speculation going around who was going to be picked, who wasn't. There was certain people unavailable. So obviously, haven't been around the group. People were sort of putting my name forward. Um, but yeah, just Chris Silver called me. It was his first. Obviously, he became the main selector. Um, and yeah, just sort of explained how it was. And I was just like, it was almost a bit of relief because when you look in the media and you see a name thrown around quite a lot, you sort of think, oh, I'd be a bit disappointed now if it, it didn't happen, this sort of thing. So, you know, to, it was a bit of relief and obviously excitement having not played a test yet. It was, yeah, really exciting time. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on and talk about the media and that sort of stuff. But let's first of all talk about England's biosecure bubble. Because initially, initially there was the invitation of, I believe, about 55 players, wasn't it? Yeah. To the first camp. And then that got whittled down. And then, as you say, got whittled down again. And then Chris Silverwood's calling you saying, right, James, I need you. The time has come, which is, of course, amazing. Now, but let's talk about that bubble. What yeah. is that experience like? Because you spent a lot of time in it without, before, before actually being picked, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was a strange one. Obviously, they picked fifty five lads. I think that covered red and white ball groups, um, and then it was thirty that went in initially, and it kept getting whittled down. Twenty two, eighteen, sixteen. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange existence. I think for that first few months where it was Southampton, Manchester, and there was those test series in twenty twenty it all just flew by and I didn't really think about it too much because I was so excited and so like privileged to be there. Um, I just saw it as a massive learning opportunity and I just threw myself into it, um, threw myself into the cricket. Um, I was still sort of finding my feet a bit, sort of trying to blend into the group sort of in social surroundings. Obviously, you know, I watched Stuart Broad, Root, Anderson, Butler, all these guys, you just watch them on the telly. They're England's biggest stars then suddenly you're thrown into a hotel for four months with them. It's slightly strange at first. Like I was a bit, bit nerve wracking. Um, but it was a great time to get to know those sort of people and, and sort of chat about their experiences. They're all really open to talking about those things. So, you know, I learned a huge amount and it didn't really affect me too much that I was just locked in a hotel. It didn't feel like I was locked in a hotel for four months. It, it didn't feel like that at all. I think it hit me sort of when I went to India and Sri Lanka and in Sri Lanka, I thought, I've been told so many nice things about Sri Lanka, how beautiful it is, how good it is to wander around and see the beaches and the people are lovely and all this. And you're just getting ferried from the ground to the hotel, ground to the hotel, and it's sort of a bit repetitive. You're away from home, so you don't feel like, oh, if I'm struggling, I can just go home. It sort of feels a bit more, that's where it sort of started to hit me. Um, and it became a bit repetitive. And obviously, I'd been there for, a few months and I didn't feel any closer to playing. I was still sort of obviously in that reserve band of, of player and it did hit us hard. It was, it was quite difficult at that time. Um, that's when sort of the, the hotel life and the novelty of being away with England sort of started to become more of a reality and, and sort of dig at me a little bit more. Um, but it was, it was great to finally get that opportunity. It felt like that was all worth it, which was, which was brilliant. Being abroad, as you say, I mean, that brings its own kind of mental challenges and it's quite exhausting and fatiguing for you, I guess. How did you find a way to switch off from cricket then? Because I suppose at the time, it sounds like you felt like you knew you were still in the reserve part of the team, but the opportunities were, were going to come in the future. So how did you switch off though? You know, because knowing that you weren't going to play, but you still had to be there. Yeah, I think that was really important because I feel like if I have, wouldn't have found that method of switching off, I wouldn't have got as much out of my training and it wouldn't have felt like I was working towards that, that first sort of 11 players. Um, you know, I think the thing I found really important was to, to maintain sort of social contact with people, not get sucked into going back to my room and just spending time on my own, um, spending time just sat there watching telly or scrolling through my phone, trying, you know, get up and about, go and meet, uh, go and eat with people, go and um, spend time with people in the, in the team room, you know, play cards, play whatever games that they've put out for you. Um, and just spend time with around people because everyone's in the same situation. Um, if you can continue to bounce off each other in those scenarios. Um, it definitely helps morale. And, you know, if you can keep that morale up, 
around the group, you're going to get much more out of your out of your cricket, which I found that, you know, in times where I did feel low or other people felt low, you felt like you had those relationships with people, even being new into the surroundings that you could go to and, and they could pick you up and, and sort of help you out, which, which was a, a really good sort of safety blanket to have. Um, I certainly felt like I had people I could go to when I wasn't sort of feeling hundred percent, which was, is perfect in those scenarios when you're away from home, away from family. Um, and you're sort of in a bit of a, in a, in a foreign environment. So you're, let's fast forward slightly then. So you get back from Sri Lanka and India, and then the New Zealand kind of series is around the corner in the summer of 2021. <laughs> I've obviously been doing a lot of reading uh, about various articles, uh, and yeah. you've spoken about this as a learning experience. But let's talk about what the build-up was like. You mentioned the media already. How are you dealing with these external pressures? Because the international game is that step above mm-hmm. uh, from, from the regional aspect of things. What was that like for you? How did you cope with the spotlight? Yeah, it was different. I mean, I was lucky, you know, I knew going back into that 2021 season that if I started well, um, it was sort of made clear already that there were certain people, um, you know, like Joss Butler, Besto, people who weren't going to be available for that series. So I knew that if I could start well, there was a chance. Um, and luckily, you know, I started well, people start talking about you, people start analyzing you on the telly, people start tagging you and stuff on Instagram. Um, and I think the key thing was, you know, I didn't, I tried my best not to get sucked too far into it. Um, I feel like I've probably read more and listened to more than I should have, um, looking back now on it. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed the fact that, you know, I was opening my phone in the morning and there's people saying, oh, James Bracey, this guy's the next England number three and he's got, he's done this and, you know, this is the great thing about him and um, people that you, sort of journalists and stuff that you watch, again, watch on the telly are chatting about me. You know, it was, it was like the novelty was great. Um, however, I think I learned quickly that you need to try and park that. Um, you need to try and, take that with a pinch of salt um, and just make sure that you focus on yourself and the job you need to do. Because realistically, test cricket is that step up. It is obviously more difficult, more challenging, more fatiguing, more demanding than county cricket, but it's the same skill. It's the same act of batting. It's the same, you know, bowlers bowling, trying to get you out and you're trying to hit runs. It's, It's nothing different in that respect. So if you can, maintain those same processes that you use in a county scenario. Um, that's why you're there is because you've done done things well. So keep being yourself and keep doing those things. I, I think I didn't quite do that enough and I probably got sucked into, to, you know, the external sort of noise that comes with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that makes sense. All that kind of external noise and pressure can become overwhelming, I suppose, mm. and distract you from the job at hand. I mean, I remember when I spoke to uh, Don Bess last year about it as well. He said now, after his first tour, he learned for the next tour, delete social media. He deletes the apps off his phone and then he doesn't see anything, which is probably, with hindsight now, you probably think that you have a, would have a better approach to it. You've had yep. that novelty, as you call it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It is exciting seeing your name there saying, you know, you're playing for England. You've got this and that. You've got the commentators and the pundits saying your name. But you've got to be wary of what you do read because it can have a de- detrimental effect on your mentality. Exactly. And, uh, and that initial build-up, it was great. But then it was the fact that when those games started and I wasn't necessarily performing as I'd like, I continued to read it, which is where I then realised, well... It's great beforehand, but now it's lagging you off. Or not like people, but everyone's on Twitter slagging you off, saying you're rubbish. He's got two ducks. Why is he playing? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and you look at it and you're like, oh, crap. Are they right? Like, am I that bad? And I think looking at both sides of the coin, what would I rather read the good, but then also read the bad and that has a detrimental effect on me or just park it all together and just focus on, you know, me, my game, the people that matter around me um, and their opinions. Um, I think that's a lot. 
it's a lot better way to go. And I think I've I've done the same as Dom in terms of I don't use Twitter. I don't really use Twitter anymore. I log in every now and again to retweet stuff, you know, for for sponsors and charities that and people, you know, my local club and stuff like that. But I don't have the app just so that I can't sit there and scroll because there's so many people who have an opinion, um, and there's always going to be one at least one opinion that you don't agree with or goes against you. So yeah, I'm trying to sort of fade it out and just use it how I want to use it. Um, I think that's probably the the healthiest way to go. If we can look exactly at, at the time when it was going on during the, those test matches, where, where were you from a mental health perspective? What were your thoughts at the time? And were you being consumed by this? Did you get in your own head as well? Describe- yeah. Describe me your, your kind of experience with your own mental health then. Absolutely. I think for those two weeks, I think I'm still very happy with the fact that my first week in Test Cricket, I made my debut at Lords. All my family were there and I made a real conscious effort to enjoy that occasion, which I did, um, even though it didn't go to plan with the bat. You know, I really enjoyed that week and it was a really special week. Um, I think then moving on to Edgebaston for the second week, um, that's where I sort of got myself into a bit of a, into a bit of a panic and and sort of things went a little bit south <laughs> it's like it's yeah I got totally consumed by the fact that yeah I wasn't playing well um but I got consumed by the fact that you know this is my last opportunity to make a statement um you know for example Ben folks had got injured I'm like well you know, he would have kept, you know, he'd probably come back in. Uh, you've got Josh Butler to add to the mix. You've got Bairstow to add to the mix. You've got so-and-so to add to the mix. And all these people that might be ahead of me, I've got to do something special in this game to make a statement and sort of put myself in contention moving forward. I sold it to myself as that, which therefore just clamped me down under so much pressure inside my own head before I'd even stepped on the field. New Zealand didn't have to do anything. It was it was like I'd done that to myself, which felt a little bit... Looking back, I'm a bit disappointed that I'd allowed it to consume me that much because I look back at it now and I look at, say, how I got out or, um, you know, a couple of mistakes that I made. And I, I think I can do that. I can do a lot better than that. And I think that's the most disappointing thing is I know how much better I am than that. I know I'm good enough to play test cricket. I know I've got the skills. Um, and now I can look at it and think I've got a lot more sort of mental skills and, um, methods that I can use, which will make that a lot easier. Um, I think at the time, yeah, I became so consumed with the fact that I had one opportunity left, not, oh, let's use this to the best of my ability and see where we go. It was, I've got to do well now, otherwise I'm going to find myself back in county cricket, trying to force another opportunity again. So yeah, I'd put myself under a huge amount of pressure. I'm sure you'll probably admit it as well. It probably comes down to the fact that not only was it your first experience in the, the test setup, hmm. in the fact that you were playing, but also naivety from your age, I suppose, because you know it's easy to watch Jimmy Anderson come in for his 169th test when he's 39 or whatever. But when yeah. you're 23, 24, um, and it's your first test match, first, second test match as well, it's difficult to know how to take each game, isn't it? Yeah. And I, you know, I speak about the fact that I learned a lot whilst being around the squad, but not in the team. And for sure I did, but I think one thing you can learn and you've just got to learn how to deal with it when it happens is actually playing test cricket. It's such a, a sort of different beast. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, yep. Some people take Ollie Robinson, for example, you know, like a duck to water, just went in, did his thing, got it right. And now, you know, finds himself in a very, a very good position where he's got, you know, fingers crossed, a long test career ahead of him. I've spoken to a lot of people who have gone on to have very good international careers who had a very similar or, you know, a, a not so positive start similar to me. You know, I spoke to to Matt Pryor, who was one of England's great test keepers in that time where they became number one team in the world. And he spoke about, you know, the challenges he had. He had a lot of criticisms and some people didn't think he was good enough after his first few games. You know, he realised that, realised what he needed to do and came back and 
you know, not only was a great keeper, but scored runs as well and was part of that team. So that gives me confidence in the fact that I am still 24. Um, I've had that initial experience and I've, I've got hopefully, you know, another 10, 15 years of my career to, to try and make an impact on that stage. Was there anything that you experienced for, be that from the public or the press that was actually to you a step over the line? Was there anything that you read that was just too much? I'm just curious and feel free to not say, because I know that, you know, trolling is one of the worst things that is about social media in general. But was there anything that, that you've read that you just went, that's actually now too much? Yeah, there's, there's comments from, you know, these random anonymous pages that you get on random photos, but it wasn't even like cricket photos. It was like pictures of me and my girlfriend and I'm just getting comments from random people like just calling me whatever and just nothing to do with actually anything that happened just abuse like but that's sort of what you learn is that's there's there's positives to it there's a lot of negatives to it as well um and that's again another reason why i don't use it as much as i did prior to to those tests um from like a cricket perspective yeah like everyone has their opinions and you just you know you respect that they're people's opinions that's sort of what they are take them for what they are and and that's where you've got to become it's sort of a skill to filter through those and sort of take out what's actually relevant and just park and ditch whatever isn't um yeah there was certain stuff that you know i thought oh, is it really that like it was a bit extreme um and there was stuff that i personally thought was unfair but again you know everyone has a different opinion and you just respect that so from that's the external from an internal side of things then who was the, where was your support coming from in the dressing room at the time? Was it a coach, player? Who, was, who had their arm around you? Yeah, like, you know, when I was going through that, the coach and the captain were great. They, you know, put their arm around me, you know, made sure that I knew that they still believed in, in me and, and my ability and what I could do. Um, even though probably at that time, I, I didn't fully believe in my own ability. Um, they made it clear that, you know, they, that I had the full backing of them, which goes a long way um we got a guy you know called mark saxby who's the um he's a masseuse but he's also in charge of like player welfare and and inclusivity and diversity sides of things as well so he's a great person to just chat to you know he's there he's always around the dressing room to to speak to and and pick you up and just have a normal conversation which in that time where all eyes are on you and um you're worrying about what's going on out on the field it's nice to just come back to something like that and just talk about, I don't know, talk about the football, talk about your family. He might, he's always one of those who asks, you know, how's your girlfriend? How's your family? Or are they here? Like, and just chat about other things. And it's, it's great to have that sort of distraction um, because you're so sort of under the microscope um, while you're out on the field. Um, it's great, you know, back in the hotel and the dressing room to have those, those conversations as well. When you left that England camp then, that England setup, what did you do to kind of switch off and forget about that? Because it was still the middle of the cricket season, let's not mm. forget that. And you still had a job to do for Gloucestershire. So how did you remove yourself from that, but still maintain the mindset for your county? That's the thing, I don't think I really did. And I think that's somewhere I really, I, I got it wrong a little bit. Um, I came out of that environment and it, you know, it was great because I knew I, I had something I needed to work on, something I needed to address um, with my sort of, my headspace, my mentality. Um, and I was really aware that I needed to do that, which was great, you know, and that's, I'm really glad I was like that because now I've benefited from that and I continue to benefit from that, which is brilliant. However, as you said, it was the middle of the season and I had, I think three days later, we had a T20 game that I was playing or I wanted to play. I didn't end up playing. I ended up being in the squad and not playing a couple of games, which with the headspace I was in at that time, going back to Gloucestershire and not being picked, which, you know, I was aware might have happened because T20 cricket isn't my strength. We had a very good T20 side. Our overseas had the ability to keep wickets. So I knew it was a possibility, but to just be told, right, you've come back in, but you're not playing. I was like, God, what's happened? Like, what's happened? I've gone two weeks ago. 
I was I left Gloucester and I was on my way to the England and I was about to make my test debut and now I'm back at Gloucester and I'm not I'm not even playing which deep down I knew I knew their reasons I understood their reasons and in part I actually agreed with you know for the for the sake, for the sake of the team it probably was a good move but just hearing that and telling myself that it was it was quite tough um and I think you know for a few games once I then did start to play again I was sort of questioning myself I was I didn't have my sort of self-belief and confidence was like in the in the bin like I didn't really I was again piling pressure on myself I was like I should be I'm back in county career I should be doing well here I should be scoring runs I should be contributing to the team and I wasn't because that was all I was focusing on I wasn't focusing on the actual process of playing um which took a while to work out but once I did get back in the groove and I started to enjoy it more that was when I started to you know find my flow again so for the over the last six months then what have you been doing to work on your mentality train your kind of mind temperament and stay on the positive side of all this stuff be that breathing exercises regular exercise itself good sleep all of the above i don't know what what have you managed to do i've i haven't done i've made an effort to not do too much or watch too much cricket related stuff outside of cricket i don't go home and the first thing i put on is the cricket I don't go home. I try and avoid having cricket kit in my room anymore, so I'm not tempted to pick a bat up. Um, not only does the missus hate it, it's just no good for anyone. Um, it's yeah, I've I've attempted to do that. Um, I've got into a rhythm of speaking to, you know, one of the England psychologists. I got I get on really well with him. He's called Tom, and you know, I went to him because I knew there was something I needed to work out and something I needed to work on. Um, and I was prepared to, you know, put in the time and the effort to do that. So I speak to him regularly. You know, for initially it was maybe once a week. Um, now it might be every fortnight or I might, you know, he's really good. I might talk to him, you know, a day before a game, like before the game in Australia. I spoke to him. Um, we've just been working on methods that I can improve my practice and I can improve my preparation um, to make sure that, you know, when I'm in those situations again, I've sort of started to develop a, you know, like a true sense of self-belief, not just like a superficial um, tell people, you know, you feel really confident and you're really um, aware of, you know, where you want to be. You actually feel it. Um, I use examples from the England setup. There's certain people in that environment that you can just tell have so much self-belief in themselves. Um, not, not sort of arrogance or anything like that, but you can tell that they really believe that they can do things and it has such a positive effect, such a powerful impact on their cricket. Um, who, so who, who, who comes to mind? Someone like Josh Butler. Like He can do things that not many other people can do, but he does it because he knows that he can do it, he believes he can do it, but he doesn't shout about it and tell the world how great he is and how brilliant he is. He's just got like that sort of personality, and it's, it's a really powerful thing. Um, someone like Dan Lawrence as well really confident individual um really believes in his skill believes in his technique his way of doing things um and that goes a long way to to having success um and you know i saw that when we were on the lines together and he was just banging out runs left right and center um it really shone through so you know those are examples that i i take and i want to i'm not going to be the same as them i'm never going to go about it the exact same way but that was something i wanted to really work on so he's been brilliant for that um i've also spoken to like um like I'm, at the time I was probably a bit embarrassed, but now I've, I've seen a therapist. Um, I'm happy to talk about that. I, it's a lot of people do, and it's 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 really helped me just to have someone that I don't know, completely sort of impartial, not from a cricket background, just to talk to. Um, I found that quite refreshing. Um, and you know, a guy I met who used to be a professional cricketer called Lewis Hatchett. He's like a mindfulness yoga um, sort of coach. Um, and again, like nothing, I haven't done really much formal stuff with him, but it's just more discussion. Like he knows cricket. He knows the demands of it. Um, he's given me a couple of things I can try. Um, 
and again, it just another outlet to just talk about how I'm feeling um, with no judgment and stuff like that is, is I've found to be really beneficial. I think that's something I, I found with speaking to individuals who play professional sport because of the success of having to get there. It's so difficult um, to get to that point. And you think that success will always come your way, but when it doesn't and weakness is exposed, they find it very difficult to express their vulnerability when actually it should be empowering to say, do you know what? Okay, mate, you know what? I do have these skills and assets and ability to perform at this level, but sometimes you just have, you go through patches or you, you, you suffer in one aspect and maybe you need to change your routine. So Mm -hmm. actually talking about your vulnerabilities as you have clearly shown is an actual credit to yourself, but also improves your your mindset and ready to go score big runs down for England Lions. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying it, is, is Bessie's been the exact same and he's been a real positive example of that. Mark Strascothic's another one. Mm. These are guys that have come out and spoken about those, those vulnerabilities and those scenarios um, publicly. And I think that just shows that how sort of, how many positive steps they've taken um, and that can have a real positive impact on other people. And I know that since, you know, the PCA have, have focused on, you know, mental health week and mental health awareness and, and putting those sort of um, platforms out there um, that cricket as a whole has, has benefit, benefited from that. And professional cricketers have been more willing to come forward and like myself and, and admit, you know, I do have vulnerabilities. I do have, things that I want to improve and there's there's people out there who want to help you so I mean it's it's very good and it, it allows you then to have more clarity about every other aspect of your game which I found you know as you said in Australia um, all sort of came together and as you talked there as well it sounds like the infrastructure within the England setup is well placed to assist you even when you're not indirectly involved in the team is that fair to say because it sounds like you've got a good um conversation with ongoing conversation with the england psychologist or one of them and that's something that's really beneficial beneficial in a professional sport to have that continuous conversation i suppose particularly infrastructure yeah exactly like with uh with the demands of fresh sport it's nice to have someone who you can count on like and i know that he's I'm comfortable speaking to him. He's knows that he can help me. And it's nice to just have that, um, have that reassurance. Um, I think it's something since COVID that they've been really hot on is making sure that those, um, those people are there. Um, and they've got the, you know, the right people in place to, to help with that. Because as we've said, you know, bubbles and, um, traveling and, um, being here, there and everywhere at a time, like the last couple of years, um, is really difficult and can be really fatiguing. Um, so yeah, and I know a lot of the lads have, have benefited from that. So let's bounce back then as we start to unwind, we've talked about your success for the England Lions. You're back home now in the UK. Shame you're not out there actually with the gloves. That would have been useful for the fifth <laughs> test, but when this comes out, we'll know the results. So we'll, let's hope, well, who knows what will happen. Um, but let's have a look at 2022 then. What are your goals? Have you set yourself some personal targets? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's a few goals that I sort of still want to achieve that I've probably set the last couple of years. You know, I want to score a thousand runs in a championship season. That's something that I feel is a real marker um, of sort of a really good season. Um, I've had a few good seasons, which I'm, I'm happy with, but I want to take that next step. Um, obviously breaking back into the test sides, like something that I'm, I'm really focused on, but I've learned that, you know, that's going to happen when it happens. I'm not going to put too much pressure on that being, you know, in March when they go to the West Indies or in June when they play New Zealand or next winter when they go wherever, um, that might be a year down the line. It might be two years, it might be five years, but if I keep working on, you know, myself and, and scoring runs for gloss that I'm hoping that will happen at some point. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really exciting time for us as a club. That's something I'm really focused on. As I said, we, we've got a new head coach, we've got a new director. Um, we've got a lot of good players, a lot of good young players bringing in some good overseas players. And I think we've got a good platform to, to be successful and and try and win a trophy. We haven't won one for, uh, six years. So, um, that's definitely something we're, we're looking at and something that's on my, on my list of things to, to achieve. 
This is a question I ask every guest that comes on the show. What does the word headstrong mean to you? Headstrong, I think, is sort of a a real sense of of clarity about sort of your own being and and how you feel in certain situations. Um, I think it's sort of, as I said, about that sort of deep-rooted belief and confidence in in you to the point where when you put under when that's put under strain or put under pressure which obviously in sport it's it's happens quite a lot that it's robust enough to help you through challenging circumstances um i think headstrong is almost also an awareness of of the people around you um and how they may be feeling and how they may be feeling in certain situations i think a real strong a headstrong person would be willing to help others. Um, again, I use Don Best as an example. I see him as a very headstrong individual because, you know, at times where other people and myself included have had moments of, you know, down moments and, and stuff like that, he's been really good in in making sure, you know, even if he just makes it aware that, oh, if you need, if you need anything, mate, just, just let us know. Like something as simple as that, I think that's a real characteristic of someone who's headstrong is being aware of others and how they're feeling and how you can you can help them amazing james i've really enjoyed this chat thank you so much for uh, chatting to me and being so so open with me i've really enjoyed it no me too thanks very much for having us and that's it for this episode of headstrong i'd like to extend my thanks to james for joining me on the episode It was great to chat about his experiences and I really hope that he makes his way back into the England team at some point in the future. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, share it with your friends and your family. It always helps. I will see you on Monday for another episode of Headstrong. Be sure to check out my sponsor, Green Chef, who send delivery food boxes straight to your door with all the ingredients and the recipe cards. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.